Hey, well, again, uh, good morning. I am so pumped uh, to be with you guys this morning, to be able to uh, share uh, what God has kind of spoken into my life over the last week as I've kind of dove into uh, his word as we continue through the Life of Christ series. Uh, there's just a, a couple things that I always like to ask myself. And as Christians, and this is for you that are believers in Jesus Christ, I think there's always a couple questions that we need to ask ourselves. Uh, the first question, which I kind of always relay back to myself, is this. What is God doing in me? And the second question is, what is God doing through me? And what I mean by that is, what is God doing in me? Am I allowing him to move into my life? Am I digging into his word? Am I spending time in prayer? Am I investing uh, time with him in that personal relationship? And then the second question is, what is God doing through me? What is God doing through you? Am I allowing what he's doing in me to move out and do people uh, see that? Am I investing in the people around me, into my kids, into my family? Because uh, that's just so important. So I just want to encourage you in that as we dig in this morning. And when I was reading through the Bible this past week, it reminded me of when I was a little, little kid. And I would take, we had one of those jungle gyms. I don't know if you guys remember this or not, but if you grew up in the 70s or 80s, you probably remember these uh, structures that we used to have. They were all metal, uh, but they would have uh, a swing, uh, maybe some kind of slide. Then there was a bunch of monkey bars that went across, and then there was two more uh, things on the other side. But the biggest thing that I always tried to do is figure out how far I could jump and hold on to the monkey bars. Could I make it to the second bar? Could I make it to the third bar? And of course, going for the gold, uh, I decided one day I was going to go for the fourth bar. All right. Now I was tiny and uh, uh, didn't have a whole lot of athleticism, but I was going to go for the fourth bar and I was going to hold on to it and uh, my little Tarzan moment. And so I finally mustered up the courage uh, to do this. And I remember uh, just so excited as I leaped forward and I'm in the air and I'm like, this is it. I'm going to get it. And I grabbed onto that fourth bar and a smile came to my face. But just then uh, I lost my hold and I went flying into the other side of the jungle gym. <clears throat> and this was before the days of let's make everything as safe as we possibly could. And there was a couple bolts that was exposed and it ended up uh, with a trip to the hospital and stitches. But I remember, man, I almost had it. That was so cool. Never tried it again. What are the things that we try to reach out for and grab a hold of and hold on tightly to? You know, if you're a movie person like me, uh, I always think of Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones never uh, lost his hat. There was a couple times where it got away from him, and that was the first thing he did was grab his hat. Uh, for parents, it's holding on to their children for dear life. I remember being on a roller coaster when I was smaller than I should have been to be able to be on a roller coaster uh, at Six Flags in St. Louis. And I remember my mom having this death grip on me because she was afraid that I was going to uh, fly out of the coaster. Um, for running backs in football, to hold on to that football for dear life. In fact, if you watch the movie, The Program, 
Um, there's this scene where the running back uh, kept, he keeps fumbling the football. And so the coach basically says, this football is going to be your baby for the week. In fact, you're going to take it everywhere you go. And if you lose it, you're going to be in a world of trouble. You're going to be hurting. Uh, and so this running back, everywhere he went, he took his football. And some of his teammates would mess around with him and try to knock it out of his arms. And there'd be a mad scramble uh, for the football. For the Jews... In Jesus' day, it was the Torah. It was the books, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And they held tightly to it, and it was important to them. So let me ask you this question. What is it that you're holding on to more tightly than anything else, than the other things in this world? What are the things that you're reaching out for most when it comes to your life. And then we have to ask ourselves this question. Are those things that we're reaching out for and holding on to adding life? Are they adding value to us? Because if there's one thing that has become clear as we've studied through the life of Christ and we're doing a chronological study through his life, looking at the things that Jesus said, the things that he taught, the things that he did, and learning from it. And if there's one thing that has become very clear is that Jesus came to bring life to a dying world. He came to bring life to a dying world. And that's kind of ironic uh, that I'm standing in the middle of a cemetery and we're talking about life. And last week I told you a lot of people, they don't like to go to cemeteries. They don't like to go around the graves because it just reminds them of death. But as we were walking out here this morning, I just couldn't help but just realize that when Jesus came, he came to die to bring life to everyone here, to all the people that are buried around me right here in this place. But oftentimes we don't like to think about it. We don't like to think about death. But the question that I would have for all the people that are buried around me is, did they choose life? Did they choose Jesus? Did they choose to be in a relationship with him? Or were they just happy and content to view from afar? to keep their distance, to stay in the crowd. If you would, I would ask that you turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. Mark is part of those gospels of those names, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so if you go about two-thirds through your Bible, uh, you're going to come to some names that you're going to recognize. And so once you get to some names you recognize, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 5. Let me set it up for you. We're going to be talking about two different households, two different houses. In the first house, in the one house, parents have been sitting by their daughter's bed for a long time, hoping for there to be a change uh, for the better. But it seemed each day, instead of things getting better, it would just get a little worse. And for parents, it's hard for us to watch our children when they are sick. Uh, But then for them to be near death, like this little girl, uh, that pain is almost unbearable. And they had tried anything and everything to bring healing to her, uh, but it was all to no avail. And on this day, as they sit by her side, they are watching her quickly 
start to fade away. And so the father makes a decision. See, they had heard about this man. They'd heard the rumors of a man who had been bringing healing to everyone and bringing healingness to their illnesses. And rumor is that he even brought a boy back to life after he had died. He was in the area, but last night they remember hearing that he had gone to the other side of the lake. You know, the night of the big storm. But this morning, we've got word that he's back in town. And so this father makes the decision to go find this man. And so he kisses his daughter on the forehead, and the heat from her forehead reminds him of the urgency to get her healed, to get her better. On the other side of town, somebody else is leaving their home, seeking this person, seeking this man. Her story has been going on for 12 years. Constant hemorrhaging, constant bleeding. And when you're a woman, you're bleeding, you're considered unclean. She hasn't been able to have a social life. And so she keeps her distance to everyone. She carries death with her. And if she touches anyone, it would be like if she was handing death over to them. And she has spent every penny on medical treatments, but none of them have worked. And like the other household, she can only think of one last option, and it's to seek out this man that they call Jesus. Two people seeking him out on this morning. One is a father desperately trying to save his daughter, and the other is a lady who has lived a life of social distancing for 12 years. And she has reached out and tried everything else, but today she's going to reach out and try to touch this man. And so Mark chapter 5 verse 21, it starts out with this. It says, Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Obviously crowds continue to bombard Jesus. And then a leader of the local synagogue whose name was Jairus, he arrived. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so that she can live. Well, obviously, this is every parent's worst nightmare. To see our children either have harm done to them or an illness is something that we don't even want to think about, let alone have to experience. Remember the crowd. This father has to fight the crowd to get to Jesus. I kind of think about it in today's terms of, you know, when people try to fight a crowd to get to the front. Maybe you're at a concert and you want to get the best place to see. And so you're going to fight. And some people, they wait for an opening. And then some people just fight their way through. I kind of see this father as the kind of person that's going to fight his way through. He's not going to let anything prevent him from getting to Jesus. But also remember, he is a leader in the synagogue, so there's a risk to what he is doing. When he goes to get Jesus, he's kind of basically going against what a lot of the other religious leaders are doing. 
See, there's been a little uprising against Jesus. The religious leaders don't like the message that he is sending. They don't like that he's kind of going against everything that they uh, thought was important. And so, but when it comes to a father and his daughter, there's nothing that we wouldn't do to help our kids. And so that's what he does. And he fights to the front and he begs Jesus to heal his daughter. He says, please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Let's continue in verse 24. Jesus went with them and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years, she had spent everything that she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. And immediately the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of this terrible condition. And Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him, and so he turned around to the crowd and asked, Who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, and we learn from another uh, gospel that Peter basically looks at Jesus and says, Look at this crowd, are you kidding? Look at this crowd pressing around you. How in the world can you ask who touched you? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. And then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him that she, what she had done. In verse 34, he says, Daughter, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Now, I want you to catch how Jesus addresses this lady, how he approaches and treats this lady, because it contradicts the norm. You see, to everyone else, she is unclean. In fact, in Leviticus 15, it has an entire chapter about how anybody who is bleeding would be considered unclean. In fact, even if your bleeding stopped, it would be another seven days before you would be considered clean again. See, this is not only a medical problem, this is a social problem. She cannot be around people. She has to keep social distancing, social isolation. She has been an outcast for 12 years. And this lady fights through a crowd of people to touch Jesus. What she does would have been like if you or I, about six or seven weeks ago, would have approached people without a mask on. You know, people would be uh, all up in arms. They would have been all upset. But when Jesus approaches her, and the way he treats her, he says, daughter, daughter, not outcast, not you are unclean, he says, daughter. This is the only time in scripture where Jesus refers to somebody as daughter. And the way he addresses her shows her that he does not condemn her. He does not treat her like others have. 
It's amazing how one word to address somebody can change their entire outlook. And so the way he approaches her is the same way he's going to approach you and I. He doesn't look at us and just say sinner. He sees us as his child. And it's amazing that the love of God is so great that just touching the edge of his robe or cloak can completely change her life. And I think this is awesome. Just reach out. Reach out. And maybe grab a hold of his cloak. Let's continue in verse 35. It says this, While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, Your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them, and he said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just have faith. Notice what Jesus does here real quick, because he quickly tells Jairus to shift his focus from fear to faith. Don't be afraid. Just have faith. How often you and I need to hear that, and we need to live that, to not live in fear, but just have faith faith. Verse 37 continues, Then Jesus stopped the crowd, and he wouldn't let anyone go with him except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, Why all of this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. Now, understand the culture of the day. Uh, back then, it was appropriate in Jewish culture to have kind of like professional mourners, and you would actually pay people to come out, and when somebody would die, they would pound their chest, they would weep and wail, and they would have this huge outcry. They would actually have music from flutes being played, and everybody around would know that somebody has recently died. And Jesus tells them that the child is not dead, but merely asleep. Verse 40 says, the crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying, holding her hand. He said to her, Talitha, come, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. Imagine the relief of these parents, the joy that they would experience and feel when their daughter, who was dead, is now alive. And not just alive, but she has been completely restored, brought back to life, so much that she is walking around. They can give her food, and she is eating. She's able to walk and talk. Also notice that Jesus tells her parents not to tell anyone. Now, last night, he basically cast demons out of a man, and he told him to go and tell everyone, and now he's telling parents, don't tell anyone. Why would Jesus do that? Well, we have to understand the audience that is being addressed. See, the Jews, they already were committed. 
I mean, they were there. The crowds were following him. They had the faith that this man was going to be able to do anything. When he was on the other side of the lake, talking to the demon-possessed man after he'd cast out the demons, he's addressing the Gentiles. They're the ones that immediately booted him out. They kicked him out of their area. They needed to hear. They needed to know what Jesus was doing. Also notice this, the girl's age and the years that this lady has been bleeding, 12 years, they've been going through their experience. 12 years has led up to this moment for both individuals. Did you notice that in the last three miracles, what Jesus does, it would have been considered extremely taboo or unthinkable. We have a man that had demons in him. We have a woman with issues of bleeding. And we have Jairus' daughter. All three of them would, be, would have been considered ritually unclean. He touches the unclean. And if you didn't hear anything else this morning, make sure you hone in. Please hear this. In those days, if the unclean touched the clean, it would have been as if they were taking death and handing death off to whatever they touched. And now Jesus, who comes to earth at a time when death uh, was an art form. I mean, we, in today's culture, it's hard for us to understand this because we've tried to make death as humane as possible. We give pain meds, uh, even with uh, the death penalty. Whether you agree with it or not, we've tried to make it as humane as possible, as painless as possible. But in Jesus' day, it was exactly the opposite. The Romans, they tried to make it as painful and as humiliating as possible. They would strip you of your clothes and try to humiliate you. Then they would torture you, try to give you as much pain as they possibly could. And then they would hang you on a cross. And the cross was specific to humiliation and pain. It combined both. And so God the Father would send God the Son, Jesus, to the earth to experience a death at a time when death was incredibly horrid. But what happens is instead of death being passed to Jesus from the unclean, Jesus basically hands life to them. Instead of basically getting what they have, death, he allows life to flow from him to them. That is amazing. That's what Jesus does. He brings life and he gives life to the dead. And spiritually, he offers the same to you and to me. Catch the way Paul words it in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 4. He says, But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. When he raised Christ from the dead, it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. 
Many of you know that one of uh, our heroes in the faith, Dr. Ravi Zacharias, uh, passed away just a couple weeks ago. And we listen to Ravi a lot in our household, and there's a lot of things that he has said that has made a lasting impact in our lives. But one of the things that he said, which kind of goes to the front for me, is this. He said, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And so the question for us is, is Jesus important enough to your life that that's what you are going to choose to reach out and grab a hold of with everything that you have? Remember the opening three questions that I had. What is it that you're holding on to more tightly than other things? What are the things that you are reaching out for, that you're reaching for the most when it comes to your life? And then we have to ask ourselves this question, does it add life to you and the people around you? If touching the fringe of Jesus' cloak and holding on to that can bring life to a woman. Imagine what would happen if we tried to grab a hold of Jesus with everything that we have. It kind of makes me want to tackle him, all right? I don't know about you, I kind of want to tackle Jesus. I would probably ask for permission first, but I just want to hold on to him with everything that I have. And I want us to tackle him together as a church, as a body of believers, to grab a hold of him and to experience the amazing joy and the eternal life that comes with that. And think about this, the joy that Jairus and his wife must have felt when God brought their daughter back to life has to be just a small glimpse of how God feels when his children accept him and reach out for him and grab a hold of him with our lives the joy that he experiences when children accept him and they receive eternal life. That is something that we can hold on to. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for those that are tuning in with us this morning, uh, gathering in homes, gathering in living rooms. And I pray, Father God, that we will be a church, we will be uh, families and individuals that will reach out for you with everything that we have, that we will hold on to you, that we will teach that to our children, and that we will actually affect the people around us. We will basically share uh, your life-giving grace with a dying world. Help us to live that out with everything that we have. And this we ask in your name. Amen.